Welcome to Everyday Eternal, episode 11. Let's get right to it. We uh, asked for feedback on Facebook recently, and we got a lot of really good responses. Uh, one of the big questions that we got a lot of uh, responses to was, what is your favorite Johnny deck? Um, for those of you who don't know what a Johnny deck is, uh, they have uh, <clears throat> development has these different ideals of what gamers are, and there's like power gamer, but that, that's not what they call them. Anyway, what the Johnny is, is uh, this is from their website. Johnny is the creative gamer to whom magic is a form of self-expression. Johnny likes to win, but he wants to win with style. It's very important to Johnny that he win on his own terms. As such, it's important to Johnny that he's using his own deck. Playing magic is an opportunity for Johnny to show off his creativity. And that's when you see a lot of people who play decks with dumb combos that don't work, but they're doing it because they really like playing that dumb combo. So, Matt, what's your favorite Johnny deck? Well, I guess in a way you could kind of say that, like, Junk is my favorite quote-unquote Johnny deck, even though it's not a it's not a dumb combo. But I would say it. I play the deck because I feel like it expresses what I want to be doing in Magic, not necessarily what is the best thing to be doing in Legacy at the moment. If If we can kind of take a step back and say that's what a Johnny deck is. If I had to say it was like, oh, it actually has to be more of a bad, dumb combo, you know, 10% win ratio deck. Well, it doesn't have to be bad. <laughs> okay, well, um, my favorite one actually is back when Survival of the Fittest was legal, back in the, I would say, mid-2000s, I was playing Fruity Pebbles Survival of the Fittest. So... I'm not getting any recognition here. It's like, oh yeah, that deck. So, okay, so Survival <laughs> of the Fittest, right? Four Survivals, bunch of Squeeze, and then running Goblin Bombardment, Enduring Renewal, and Shield Sphere combo. I'm familiar. Okay, so if some of, your, uh, some of the listeners aren't really um, familiar with the combo, if you have Goblin Bombardment, you can sack a creature to deal one damage to a target. Uh, Enduring Renewal is like play with your hand revealed, but if a creature would go to the graveyard this turn, return it to your hand instead. I think now it's not a replacement effect, which is failure. Oh, okay. Well, at the time. Yeah, it was. was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the point being, you would play Shield Sphere or a zero mana, any zero mana creature. Um, sack it to Goblin Bombardment, it would come back to your hand, recast it, sack it, and you would just kill everyone at the table. And I was playing that deck for a while, and it was great because, you know, in multiplayer Legacy that we would sometimes play at the time, you would just like sit there and slowly build up. Nobody would know what you were doing. Nobody would really attack you because you weren't really doing anything relevant. And you'd be like, oh, oops, I assembled the combo in one turn. I killed all of you. And uh, that was that was fun. That's probably my favorite. Do you play anything like that now? I mean, not necessarily that deck, but that kind of style where you're just trying to do what you want to do and not really pay attention to what they're doing? Not in Legacy. In EDH, if I sometimes play EDH, I'll play my Sun Titan Animate Dead Pernicious Deed dot deck. The uh, Carador EDH. But um, in Legacy, no. Alright. Sean, do you have anything like this? That uh, Any decks like that that you like to play? I mean, I think the question doesn't necessarily apply since I essentially don't play any deck that I would just copy off the internet. So I think every deck that I play is a Johnny deck, I guess, even though I hate being called Johnny. <laughs> I mean, for me to, to just grab some deck off TC decks and go to a tournament 
I just I don't feel any satisfaction from winning with somebody else's brain power. So not to say they don't play cards that other people play. I mean, there's a limited card pool, but you didn't make up your own cards, Sean. Jesus, I tried for a while, but they wouldn't let me just win the invitational via email. So, yeah, <laughs> but I don't know. I don't. I don't really. I mean, I, I'm aware of what's being played, but um, for me to bring like a, a, a sixty or a seventy-five. I would rather stay home because I generally don't need or care that much about the prize. I'd rather win with at least something I made up. <clears throat> I mean, that's interesting because that's, that's kind of just a, a whole different way of looking at how you want to play Magic. Some people want to go and be in the tournament scene and play with the best deck every week, and some people want to go and they want to play their Magic deck. I mean, to be honest, my per- my particular take on Legacy, at least, is. I really like the deck-building aspect of the format. I like the available card pool. Therefore, I like playing decks that either shit on somebody else's brainchild or just readily beat something that somebody else took the, took off the internet, thereby punishing them for not thinking for themselves. If yeah, I'll sense. bring spoiler decks. I mean, any of the chat... I mean, at this point, anyway, I think most of the Chalice decks are considered spoiler decks. So, I mean, the GP in Atlanta a couple of years ago, I brought Blueback Tezzeret with Chalices, Trinospheres, Baleful Strixes. Um, let's see. Bizarre Mox and I brought Mode Stompy, which is another Chalice deck, but um, I guess those are kind of spoiler decks. They have super high reward, but sort of high... Uh, variance. High, high variance as far as their opening hands go. Yeah, Tezzeret maybe a little bit less so, because I think at the GP... At GP Atlanta, I think I was still running Thirst or and or Intuition, so I had a little bit of uh, card movement, but uh, a deck like Mode Stompy is pretty much... Uh, as rigid as a fucking fire hydrant. I mean, you just can't. You just draw what you draw, and you win, you win. But blows out certain decks. Suppression Field or Chalice 1 blows out a lot of decks. I don't know. The other kind of decks I like building are just three-color, 16-20 to 20 dude decks. And, uh, you know, so it'll either be junk, I guess what's called junk now, or... I mean, every three-color combination's been done to death over the last 15 years, so they all have... The moment you drop a certain combination of dual lands, some neckbeard will just look across from you and say, you know, oh, you're on, you know, rug or team insert stupid country, you know, so that that happens. But the, those, I guess those are my Johnny decks. I have three color, pick pick a creature from each color, no double color, those kind of decks that all lose to deed pretty much. So. Hey, Team Estonia is a great deck. Don't you be hating. Team Uganda. Sam, what about you? Well, I mentioned this in the control cast, and uh, to me, I just like to not let my opponent play magic, and that manifests itself in different ways. In Vintage, the f- when I started playing Vintage, it was to play Shop, because then my opponent didn't get to do anything. Uh, right now, I'm playing Blue-White Control, because I don't want my opponent to do anything. And the only other way that I really don't let my opponents do things is I'm considering putting together one of those really, really terrible Storm decks that, like, 10% of the time it wins on turn one, and the other 90% of the time you just don't play Magic. Like, um, SI, I don't know. <laughs> uh, SI, which uh, is terrible, don't build it, because it has too many cards that you'll never play. Spanish Inquisition, no one expects it, and sometimes you just fan open your opening seven and go, oh, look, I won, sorry. Um, I guess in that way it's like Charbelcher, except bad which makes it more fun because nobody knows what you're doing. Calling the week is pretty great. 
I, I've played I SI actually. I, I played it with Kobolds and Glimpse, and uh, that's a fun deck. It's not nearly as consistent as the other Storm decks, but you will get openers with like just insane potential. And I was playing the Suicide version with the Summer's Packs to find like the two of Spirit Guide slash Wild Canner slash oh, back then it was Odious Tro to pin to Chroma. You're an Odious Tro. Think about how bad Odious Tro is in the face of Deathrite Shaman right now. <laughs> is it Tro or Trow? Uh, I think depending on your your what language you fancy, different. English. I think it's got to be Trow so that when you play it, you can say I drop Trow. Yeah, I think in, I'll a, agree. in Estonia it's Tro. <laughs> are we uh, are we good with this one? I I think so. Um, Let's talk about Deathrite Shaman then. Deathrite Shaman. We're just gonna steam through this. Deathrite Shaman's really, really good. Odious Tro was a good transition to Deathrite Shaman. <laughs> we'll just take out all this crap in between. So speaking of Deathrite Shaman, again somebody has asked us to go over Deathrite Shaman's so good. What do I do? And uh we've talked about this many, many times, but I think the actual reasonable part of the question that we got was uh what is Deathrite Shaman doing to the format and is there a ban in the future? So maybe I'll kind of start off and then we'll go through. But So I think what Deathrite Shaman has caused the format to do is, A, it's given mid-range something to play with, which it never had before. It's actually made mid-range good, a real a real archetype that can compete in the format. I think people are just butthurt because my aggro deck is losing to your mid-range deck, but my mid-range deck is still losing to the combo decks. And hey, and the control decks, and that's the way it is. Um, in terms of warping or what it's doing, it's causing mid-range decks to be super greedy as well, going into three and four colors without any basic lands, because you think you have this this one guy that's going to take you the entire game. And you know what? People just don't understand that he's only a four of. Most people are not going to be running four Deathrite Shaman, four Birds of Paradise, and hey, look, my mana is so consistent ever. You know, that's 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 not what's happening here. People are just thinking that. Four Deathrite Shaman, no basics, is a good way to start off a three-color legacy deck, and it's most definitely not. I think there are so many ways to deal with it because so many people are in on this card. You, If you are a deck playing it, or even not, you can exploit the weaknesses in deck design because people are just getting super greedy with Deathrite Shaman. Do I think the card is bannable? In absolutely no way possible, the card is fucking bannable. Sam? All right, well, that's a, a very resounding thing uh, way to say that. Um, I think um, there's there's a whole separate conversation we could have here about what makes a card bannable. Um, I don't think Deathrite Shaman is bannable, which makes it kind of hard to have that conversation because we don't have something we can point at. Uh, I think what Deathrite Shaman has done, in addition to making people a little greedy, is uh, a lot of people have been... they want They want to play this card, and they've been kind of jamming into car into decks that slowly evolve into something real and we've been seeing over the last several months uh that Deathrite shaman will get crammed into a deck where it's just it's the only black card or the only green card in the deck and slowly but surely that deck gains more black and green until it becomes something new and then that deck gets beaten by something else in the metagame and the deck goes away and i think Deathblade is a good example of that uh if you look over the last one or two Star City Games results, you'll see there's been no uh, none of these Esper Deathblade lists anymore. They're all going different colors. 
And it's cool because we get to see the format evolving and changing, but I think a lot of these, uh, these types of decks just aren't that great. There's a lot of just, Deathrite Shaman is great, I'm just going to jam him in a deck, and if I jam him in a deck, I'm not... I, I think there are people still playing basic lands, contrary to Matt, but I do think that people get greedy on their mana base. They say, if I throw in four Deathrite Shaman, I can remove four lands, or something like that. Um, so I think in a lot of decks, it actually weakens them a little bit. I also think it's super easy to deal with. I mean, you've got all of the removal that's in the format. You've got all of the targeted ways to kill it, like all of, like Lightning Bolt that you can use at their face or at their Deathrite Shaman. And as we've said uh, in the past, uh, any graveyard hate automatically hoses it. So I think it's easy to beat. You just have to realize that it's worth killing. It is worth catching a Swords to Plowshares in the face or a Lightning Bolt in the face because it's going to deal damage to you over time and it's going to accelerate them out. And I think that's another reason that people are a little afraid of it is being that it's only a 1-2 for 1, people don't see it as much as a threat until it kills them. Sean? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a good card. I, I usually kill it on the spot. I mean, some decks are stuck with just maybe four spot removal. Um, other decks, maybe like Junk, have some number of Abrupt Decay and some number of Swords, so they feel a little more liberal with respect to just killing it on the spot. Um, but it's... Yeah, it's a terrific card. I mean, it's certainly not bannable. I mean, there's plenty of stuff that could be safely unbanned, to be honest. But um, I, think, I think one of the things that, that probably just puts it slightly over the top, and this is subtle, but the fact that it's a 1-2 puts it instead of a 1-1 oh. one, one, is such a big deal. And, like, uh, you know... You can't gut shot it. Yeah, I mean, you can't gut shot it. You can't hit it with any of the pingers. Uh, Zealous, Zealous Persecution doesn't kill it. Electricery doesn't kill it. Bogari Charm doesn't kill... Yeah, Bogari Charm. Yeah, I mean, you know, it can block a 1-1 in theory. I mean, it's just... that, that puts it, it can block and kill a 1-1. Yes. Yes, it can. Um, but uh, I think it's okay for the for the game. I mean, the, the fact that it's a well-designed card... It's a well-designed card when it's being played in Legacy and Vintage and not in Standard, so that makes me happy. Um, you know, but there are, there are a ton of things that, that can deal with it. Even outside of eliminating it, you know, we talked last week, or I guess the last pod that was published, which was nine. Let's say playing a, a junk-oriented build or a green-white build that's that's not dependent on the graveyard, you know, just just having rest in peace in play makes him Norwood Ranger, and uh, or suppression field makes him Norwood Ranger. Um, you know, some of those some of those corner strategies where you build your deck around a constraint, and by doing so, you hose the rest of the format. Um, you know, he's not bannable, though. So then I guess the question is, what makes a card bannable? What do you think, either in your opinion or whatever? I think a, I think the thing I look to is a card is bannable when the format consists of 90, let's say, 80 to 90% 56-card deck. So uh, I think the poster child for this is Mental Misstep. You were either playing for Mental Misstep or you are playing Chalice Wand because... There was just no point in not playing Metal Misstep if only to counter the other guy's misstep. So every deck that wasn't playing Chalice on one was a 56-card deck. If you were playing Goblins, you were playing four Metal Misstep. Uh, Death and Taxes was playing Metal Misstep back then. Every combo, every reanimator deck was playing Metal Misstep. And that, to me, 
that that kind of ubiquity where, where deck building is actually reduced to a 56 card exercise to me that's a huge red flag that something needs to be banned there are others but for me that's the kicker that's the absolute no-brainer sam well i think it's interesting that you say 56 card deck because uh it really is i think it's if everyone is either playing with it or having to deal with it um and i think the card a lot of people have been kind of calling for a ban recently and again right now i disagree with this is show and tell and show and tell is very main deck beatable I think uh, if it got to the point where everyone had to pack things in their main deck to beat Show and Tell because it would just win on like turn one, like if there was a blue spirit guide or something, then it would be insane and bannable. But uh, until you have to have something to be able to play the, the game at all to beat it, I don't think a card really counts as bannable. And Mental Misstep is an excellent example of that. I definitely agree. I mean... A card has to be, in my opinion, format warping to actually warrant a ban. So whether or not, like Sam was saying, you know, you've got to either pack main deck hate to beat it, or like Sean was saying, you know, there need, there's four in every deck in the format, I think that's when you know that it's kind of reached such a saturation that you kind of don't want to see it in the format. If it becomes a problem, if you see a lot of players complaining about it and there's no current cards to deal with that current problem, or at least not well, then it's, I think, in favor of ban. A lot of the cards that we've seen recently, do I agree with the Mental Misstep ban? Eh. Do I agree with the Survival of the Fittest ban? No. No, I don't either. And and one of the reasons that Survival of the Fittest uh, was banned, that they cited was ubiquity, but that was far from the truth. I mean, the Star Cities were saturated with the card, but it was just... I mean, A, the deck, when once Vengevine was printed and there was a little bit less Grave Hate than we see today, the deck was a little bit of autopilot in terms of being able to pretty quickly swing for 12 or 16. But Survival, to me, is a slow card. It's it's a uh, it's a card that now, with with Revoker, um, you know, all kinds of Grave Hate. Surgical. Surgical, yeah. If you want to go the, the angle of trying to leverage Survival to build your graveyard... You could spend two or three turns building your graveyard only to just have the whole strategy ruined. I just and, and at the time it, it, it reached its apex, Green Sun hadn't been printed. And and right now you're gonna look at trying to build a sixty card deck. Are you gonna put four Green Suns or four survivals? You're not gonna run all of them, because then you're just not gonna have any dudes. And green sunning a dude into play doesn't help you with survival because you need a dude in your hand. So I just think that the deck space right now is just too constrained. And if you want to build build into some really slow combo that eventually poops Iona into your graveyard that you, you know, retainers back, how is doing it via survival any more or less broken than just reanimate or just... On burial rights or something. Or just show and tell into Grizzlebrand. Like, who... It's just, it's just no more or less fun or backbreaking than any of those plays. And the only other argument I've heard about survival was that it was so consistent. And... You could say the same about a lot of, you know, a lot of decks. I mean, survival is in fact consistent. Consistency is a goal. Yeah, yeah, but it's just really it's slow in the face of what other what what other things are happening. Like, well, I think survival brings up the interesting point that uh, the DCI has said that they work on the philosophy of banning the enabler. So, a lot of people, when Show and Tell was banned, said, you know, you could have just banned Vengevine, and. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. A lot of people, when Survival was banned, said you could just ban Vengevine because Vengevine's the real problem. 
and the DCI takes the side of saying we would rather ban the card that enables this to happen than have to continue banning the thing that broke that card. And going back to show and tell as a possible ban target, that's the reason people think show and tell will be banned instead of Emrakul, is because show and tell is what allows that to be broken. But so does Gaze Cradle. Yeah, so do a lot of things. Uh, I just wanted to point out that it's it, they they're big on the enabler thing, and in fact, when you look at recent bans, the only one that's really not an enabler is uh, is mental misstep, and mental misstep falls under the this is not fun or the this is a fifty six card deck. Yeah, I mean, if you look at some of the other targets, I mean, in my opinion, and I've when I cared more, I wrote about this online before the internet got flooded with retarded people, but things like black vice, I mean. Black Vice is so not ban-worthy in Legacy if the criteria is, you know, the games where I vice you on turn one and it does five damage. I mean, how is that more or less fun than, you know, having a, a Island Ponder go, untap Ancient Tomb, show and tell Omniscience? It's just, it's just not, to me, funness is just a tough, it's just a tough thing to quantify, you know? Black Vice is the worst top deck in the history of Magic. Uh, it's worthless in decks that uh, want to do anything but... Ca really, the only deck I think it would go in would be Burn, you know? Yeah, to be honest. And how much of a... And it'd be a bad, bad, bad top deck. It's it's way worse than Lava Spike, I think, over... Uh, uh, what's, the, what's the horizon for a Burn deck? They want to win on about the fourth turn? Yeah. I mean, literally, then you're talking about almost always having to cast Black Vice in the first one or two turns. And it has a little synergy with Goblin Guide in that, you know, if they draw lands or whatever, it'll it'll fill their hand up. But there are so many one casting cost three damage spells now, if you count Rift Bolt, that it, it would be really, really hard to fill your deck with, you know, four Bone Flutes, basically, after the person gets down to four cards. So, and, and then, you know, the, its other fringe uses are in, again, two-card combos, stasis, or uh, uh, anything that forces a draw, like prosperity. But, you know, none of those strategies are even remotely viable right now, so why not introduce that card and see if those strategies can go anywhere? Like, I think even unbanning Black Vice, stasis or prosbloom or something would still have a, a hell of a time trying to... Um, you know, trying to get anywhere. The other thing I could think of is maybe some kind of straight prison strategy with Armageddon and uh, Winter Orb. Like Stacks or something like that. Right, but what does Stacks want to do the most in Legacy? They want to play a Chalice, Chalice on one. one. Right, so you'd have to, you know, you'd be looking at your deck and you'd say, wow, this sucks. I can't play Chalice on one because I won't play Black Play. So, again, I, you know, the card, the card just isn't ban worthy and it's banned and it's just kind of embarrassing. Well, and as an example of cards that could be unbanned and not do anything, uh, when they unbanned land tax, it was saw a splash for like two or three weeks, and then pretty much everyone said, you know what, this just isn't playable. And short of about a month after they banned it, I've never seen it played. Correct. I've never seen it since. I mean, I played I mean, I am considering playing it uh, later on today. Just because I think the stack track is a hilarious combo, but uh, but I do not plan on winning with it. My store has too much deed for me to win with it, but but if you know what you're doing and you have the right components out, tax rack, uh, tax rack top. If you have tax rack and top out, you're effectively drawing like eight cards a turn, and it's insane. But 
if your deck is if your store is full of pernicious deed, then you just get nine for one and lose. So. And there's so much setup involved in getting land tax to be good that again, it's hard for it to be viable when there's so much stuff you have to do when you could just be doing better stuff. Well, it's another card that requires even before runtime, so to speak. You know, at, at design time of your deck, you have to you have these massive constraints you have to adhere to to even have the card function like you actually need eight to nine basics to really do anything with it you know well you need the basics you need the land tax and you need the scroll rack so you're talking about almost 15 to 20 cards just right there yeah yeah it's uh you know it's a fine card and earthcraft could be the same thing i mean people point at earthcraft and nobody can make a, a cogent argument about how it's going to explode and they yell about squirrel nest like a two card green 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 one one combo that requires a basic forest that makes a bunch of tapped dudes and you have to pass the turn with tapped one one dudes tapped one one dudes so what you're saying is it's like worse in treat the angels it's worse than every other two card combo that's currently played i mean in tomb reanimate show and tell pick a card uh, I mean, it's god awful, and it requires these you know these massive deck building constraints. I, honestly, if they unbanned Earthcraft, I would think like it would probably just go in in green aggro decks like an elf deck or something as rampant growth, and maybe they sack into like a one or two of Squirrel Nest just as an oops I win. But again, like so many cards have been printed in the green space that like what are you gonna not play in your elf deck? play earthcraft to untap your basic forest with your you know we've got heritage druid now birch lore rangers uh i don't know earthcraft would be a played card but you would not see six of eight at a star city with four earthcraft i mean you'd see six people at the entire star city with earthcraft right i'd play earthcraft yeah i think it's an interesting design space that really hasn't been explored because it's been banned for so long but I think another card that could easily come off that's not doing anything right now is Mind Twist. Mind Twist is fun in cube because, hee hee, gotcha. You know, I get to, you know, twist your hand away. It's great. Not doing anything. However, Legacy. So when does it become better than any other hand removal that's currently legal? So on turn one, you can't do anything. So it's strictly worse than Thoughtseize. Turn two, um, you get one card, so it's worse than him to talk. Turn three, it becomes equal to him to Tarak. Except that it costs more. Exactly. And then turn four, you start getting the I'm removing possibly half your hand. Turn four. So on turn four, your opponent could play Jace the Mind Sculptor and Fate Seal you. All right. So then you, on your turn four, you get to play land and mind twist them for three. And they still have a Jace. Good job. How was that? How, how was that? And this is another card that could see play in some fringe playable strategies. Like, if somebody played a mono-black discard deck with Pox, maybe, and what's what's the card that every time you discard, it does damage to you? Like, you could build a deck around this, but it's not going to be very good. I think that the Mind Twist actually belongs in, like, one of two decks. Maybe in some sort of, like, Pox or mono-black deck of some kind, or in, like, maybe a bug control deck as a 1-2 to two of late game, like, oh, it's my huge control bomb spell. I don't have I don't have an Entreat the Angels, but hey, I'll twist away your hand for funsies. Like, 
maybe maybe you'd want that card. I don't know. Well, you you know, it got banned. It, it, this is another one of these like historical bans. You know, it's just like a leftover. It was you know you know it was actually banned in in Type One for a while because the rash it was restricted forever and then it was banned because it was. It was considered a backbreaking play that like you could never recover from. Mana Drain, untapped, mind twist you, and then so there it sat, just banned in Vintage forever. And it's been a four of in Vintage now for a number of years, and it still doesn't really see any play, even in Vintage, even though it says mind twist. But I think in Legacy, if you really wanted to go nuts and play four mind twists, it would have to be some kind of black stompy. Chrome Mox and print my extra mind twist, ancient tomb, bad him kind of thing, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, it, it, it would it be played? Maybe. I could also see it as in something like Aggro Loam as a Burning Wish target. Um, because essentially the blue white guy, I mean, he has to actually counter that spell. He, he has no choice, right? I mean, he has to counter Devastating Dreams too, so maybe the argument's moot, but. Um, he probably needs a hard counter, right? You could set it to X. So in the middle of the game, if you're playing against a control player and he's got four or five cards in hand and you've got a bunch of lands out and you Burning Wish and he's too stupid and doesn't counter the Burning Wish, then I don't know. Again, I'm I'm reaching and I can't even really find a compelling reason to play it. Um, you're reaching pretty hard there. Yeah, Esper Control maybe runs a one of. In the, but again, in the Control Control Mirror is really where it's only useful. Um, you know, it doesn't kill a Deathrite Shaman. It doesn't remove Blood Moon. But then you just get, like, Spell Pierced out of the game, too. Yeah, and again, you could even... You could argue that something as... You could argue something like Slaughter Games is better at that point, or, uh... Whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't you shit on Slaughter Games. Yeah, That's good I mean, stuff. Lobotomy, you know what I mean? Uh, anyway. Is that what your opponent has when they're playing Mind Twist, or... <laughs> No, 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 there's an actual Magic the Gathering. No, no, I know, I know. And actually, if you're going to cast a Mind Twist, just cast Amnesia, because the art is just way cooler. The guy has a hole in his head. Yeah, he actually has a giant... Like, they would... That would never, ever, 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 in 2013 forward, reach a Magic card. Art that actually has a man with a giant bloody hole in the middle of his head with a bunch of pins in his neck. That is art on a Magic card. Now we get, like... Wild in the cattle cat titties. And, like, and he seems like he's still alive, kind of. Like, he's like, oi, this really is paining me quite a bit. Wait, wait, did I get an oi out of you? Oi. <laughs> Jacob would be so proud. We, we've gotten some <laughs> Yiddish into the podcast. Oi, babe, my hand is gone. Oh. <laughs> uh, but anyway. anyway. Yeah, I think those, those cards we mentioned, Earthcraft... I think the least controversial are probably Mind Twist, Vice, Earthcraft, Survival. Maybe you could get somebody to argue with you. Uh, people completely ignorant of the format will cite Mind's Desire. And the reason Mind's Desire can't be unbanned is not because playing with one Mind's Desire would be particularly backbreaking. The problem with Mind's Desire is when it's a four of. So you see it in Vintage and it's a one of and it occasionally wins games and you go nuts. But if you could only have one of it in Legacy, okay, maybe it'd be fine. It would be sort of like a an ad nauseum. It'd probably be a worthy Burning Wish target in something like a Epic Storm. But what people don't understand about Mind's Desire is when it's played in fours and you resolve the first one, you win. Because 
the things you are doing with Mind's Desire, you aren't storming the spells you find, you are casting them. And therefore, when you cast a Mind's Desire off a Mind's Desire, the storm is actually counted as the number of cards you cast. So, for those of you crying that Mind's Desire can be unbanned, please go set yourselves on fire. Yeah, I played against Mind's Desire once where someone had just, just for fun, put together the deck, and he played it out for me, and I, was, I just watched, was like, is that magic what you're playing over there? Like, there's a lot of cards moving around the table, and then I lost, but I'm not sure that you played any magic. I, actually, there's one other example, and this doesn't come up a lot, but there's the logistics example. And two cards right now are, well, there's there's the handicap cards, the Chaos Orb and Falling Star, but other logistic problems cards are, are Dragon and Recruiter. And usually what's cited with those two cards is just how they impact an actual timed round of magic which is kind of a weak uh, criterion for banning. Um, but I, I understand where they're coming from, you know, not wanting to have people be able to draw the game very easily. And I guess Goblin Recruiter could be a tactic for, you know, it could be a tactic for stalling. It's not a bad card either, but based on power level alone, I don't know that it would be banned. Um, but I could see where tournaments could be. You know, is, there, is, it, is it realistic to take six to seven minutes to stack... Uh, let's say, 25 cards of your deck for the recruiter. And the real question is, is anyone going to let you take that long? Because we've had this discussion before, like with top. If you spend more than a few seconds on top, I'm going to call a judge. What would be the line with recruiter? Call a judge every time, yeah. Yeah, um, and the timing argument is a really interesting one because, again, with top, it's banned and modern for the reason that it takes so long. And if it takes so long is the reason it's banned. Why is it legal as a four of in Legacy and Vintage? Well, I think they, unfortunately, with the whole time delay thing in Modern, they've kind of backed themselves into a corner for unbanning. Because, I mean, if you look at the... Mo I mean, I know this is a bit of an aside, but, I mean, if you look at the Modern format now, it's, it's mid-range heaven, which is something that you would think that I would like. However, I like a little bit of variety as well. I mean, if they were to unban, say... And I don't want a bunch of modern people coming into coming into the comments and being like, oh, but you can't do this because of the modern format. I'm just speculating. If you were to unban, say, Jace, Stoneforge Mystic, Thopter Foundry, Top... Then the value of my trade binder would quadruple. Yes. <laughs> However, you open up the blue control spectrum of the format, right? So and when you open up blue control, that means you can start letting combo out because blue control keeps combo in check. Exactly. Well, we're not going to... We're, we're not going to go into how rock, paper, scissors works. But the point being is, it's like, oh, all these like cards for power level, but it's like, can you unban top? Because you've already said it's not the power level that's the issue, it's the time. So you've, when you say that you're banning a card because of some sort of like logistical reason, unbanning it then becomes like, did you just solve this logistical reason? Like, what's a, Or are you just talking, were you talking out of your ass the first time? Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I, and I think... Probably more realistic is that they didn't want a card like Counterbalance appearing on the banned list because then they'd have to explain why a card like Counterbalance was on the banned list. It's the enabler guides. I do like looking at the modern banned list because you look over it and it's like, half of these cards suck. I like looking at it and going, oh, that's banned? Holy shit. Oh, Grave Troll? Oh my god, that's banned? And then you threw the rest of your modern cards into a fireplace. 
No, I, I, I moderate's fine to me, but I just only have so many days in the week to play. So like, where does it fit? You know, I'd rather play if I've got two days a week to devote to Magic. Two nights, I'm gonna play Vintage and then Legacy. I'm not gonna uh, play Modern, you know. But I, I participated in the Modern PTQ season. I think one of the benefits of Modern, to go back to the Johnny topic, is if you know how to play Magic and you understand the rules, it's a brewer's paradise. You can build whatever you want as long as it has sufficient mana. And with with the lack of Wasteland, you even have some liberties there. You can play just about any well-conceived deck in Modern and have a chance to win. I mean, because the format's so slow and everyone playing it is so dumb and the decks are just absolutely Xeroxed off of whatever run win the last uh, uh, Magic Online. You know, that's the other thing, too, is is it has an online metagame because you, you have all the cards for Modern Online. So... Um, that deck is, or that format, sorry, is just, it's just Xerox 75s. So, you can brew just about anything and you have a chance to win. You know, unlike trying to build Do Still and take it to a Legacy GP, you're not going to win. You know, you might go six, you know, six and three or something and be able to laugh about how you killed somebody with Boros Battleshaper, but you're not going to win no matter what you do. But modern, modern is ripe for building whatever the heck you want to build. You can take any three colors, slam any amount of good creatures into the into the deck with some disruption or some removal and you have a shot to win. So that's the that's the plus side of modern. The downside is band list is stupid and the power level of the cards is kinda of sad, but anyway. Well that's a really great segue into our next topic. Deck building. Deck building. The short version of the question is how do you build a deck? And when they say that, we don't mean uh, how do you uh, build the perfect 75. We mean what's the thought process involved with brewing a whole deck from start to finish. And see, what the first thing you do is, is you go to www.starcitygames.com and you click the decks button. And then Sean yells at you. I was going to say, I don't have my letter opener to stab you with right now. <laughs> <laughs> So I mean, I mean, I can talk first about this go, if you want. Go so, for I mean, it. So I mean, with deck building, it depends on how you're. First, I mean, what are you trying to do? Are you creating a meta deck where you're like, oh, I think the format is weak to this, therefore I'm building this, or are you building around a certain card? So, for example, like recently, I was building one of each of these types of decks. So I was looking at the format, and I'm like, oh, I think an interesting and novel deck in the format could be a rug counterbalance deck that I've been talking about for several weeks with the cast now. And I think the deck has potential. Why? Because of these reasons. And it was a novel approach just due to the fact of the way the format was going. So, hey, let's try this. Another deck that I was building was a Thopter Foundry deck. So I knew that, like, okay, the format doesn't do well against Thopter Foundry. So what can I put that combo in? Or what can I put around this combo to kind of build it up and make it into a possibly tournament-worthy deck. So I think that's the first thing you have to decide in building any deck, is are you improving a current deck, are you building around a certain card, or are you doing something totally different? And just exploiting weakness. Sam? Yeah, and we've done this before on the cast, kind of on accident, we've built a metagame deck, just saying, okay, the format is weak to this, this, and this. Oh, hey, we're already at, like, half the cards we need. Um, and one thing we do want to point out, um, 
as as much as some of us sometimes make fun of people who do just go out and grab a deck list, you can have parallel evolution where we both come up with this idea separately. Where, as an example, there have been rug counterbalance decks before, and Matt's list might be exactly the same list as something that was seen a few months ago. That's now good again because we've got, he started with the same basis. These cards are good, and I want to play in this way. Um, Matt and I kind of brewed up an Esper Stoneblade list uh, about a week ago. Just kind of the question started, what would you have to do to make Esper Stoneblade as Stoneblade, not as Deathblade, viable again? And we started at that point and worked towards a 60. And uh, it's, it's a whole, you have to say, what do I want to do? What do I want to build around? And you usually end up getting about three quarters of your deck, and then you have to fill it with the stuff that Maybe you don't want to play, but you have to. There's a math teacher who posts blogs about teaching his kids how to play magic. And he's got this rule he calls the rule of nine, which is that any magic deck, you pick nine cards, make those four ofs, put in the, the stuff around it, and that's the start of your deck. Just go from there and start tweaking. And that's another really easy way to start looking at how you want to build your deck. I brewed up a green-white Haterade list for Modern just for funsies on that exact same principle and went and played it against a friend and it just completely shat on him. And he thought, wow, now I have to completely rethink how my deck works. So this brewing's also definitely something you can get a new deck that beats people out of this. You don't have to play the best deck all the time. You might just make the best deck. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I, I get on people about copying decks, but I think there's two things that go un, un, uh, unnoted sometimes. One is the the financial burden of legacy. So you're a newer What's player. That? You, <laughs> well, yeah, some of us don't have that problem, but sometimes I need to understand that a person is playing a deck off the internet and hasn't changed his deck in three months because the cost of actually swapping cards out is, uh, you know, greater than whatever he makes it. You know. Uh, his part-time job while working through college. Exactly. Her you know, job. And, and so I need to understand, you know, magic cards are more, at least the eternal staples now are more expensive than they were when I was in college. So so there is that, and, and I think that that impacts a lot of players who have a deck and just can't turn their tundras over, you know what I mean, and, and, don't, and can't afford to go out and buy Badlands, you know. So, so I get that, and I need to keep that in mind when mocking people who are... Uh, who have less cards than me, or playing the same deck, or whatever. But you know, I think I think some players now, or, I put on my get off my lawn hat. But you know, some players playing now don't have a good fundamental idea of, of how the game actually works before they copy the deck and bring it to the store. So there's this uncomfortable period of however many weeks or months or years in the case of some particularly mentally disadvantaged people. Or they just don't know what they're doing, and they don't know what they're doing because they didn't uh, kind of what Sam was alluding to. They didn't learn it. They didn't learn how to build that deck from the ground up, and they don't actually know why the cards are even in there. Um, so, you know, I think the classic poster child for this is any of the cantrips. You know, watching a new player who who buys some brainstorm deck off of the internet, sits down at a Star City, plays a Scalding Tarn, fetches a Tropical Island, and brainstorms on his first turn. And you're just you're pretty sure at that point that that guy is is just a rube, you know, and he doesn't understand why that card is in the deck, and he doesn't understand 
you know, the interaction with the fetch land. He doesn't understand any of that stuff because he didn't build the deck from the ground up. So, And I know Kobe talked about that the other day. He said uh, that he played a 75 where he basically couldn't find cards number 74 and 75, so he just threw something in. And two weeks later, he saw that exact same 75, and the guy had no idea why those two cards were in there. He had never sideboarded them in. And Kobe just told him, it's like, uh, yeah, those are there because I couldn't find the cards I wanted to put in the deck. That's the reason those terrible cards are in your deck. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, but you know, deck building takes time. It takes access to a, maybe to a card pool. Maybe not so much with something like Cockatrice. But, you know, you have to have a fundamental, you know, understanding of what's going on in order to build a deck. And that doesn't necessarily come first. Um, playing for a while comes probably first. People don't want to just go read articles about math and magic and variance and the hypergeometric distribution. You know, they, they, I would they, rather play magic than read those articles. Well, exactly. Yeah, you'd rather just go out and play magic. So you you have to you have to have something to play. So you copy a deck, start playing it, and maybe learn the ropes from just playing that deck. But then you just run into the constraint of having enough, A, money to actually make or brew some different deck, and B, having the time to go playtest that deck uh, if you're not willing to do it at your local store. Like, I just brew brew decks and I bring them on Wednesday because it's five bucks to enter and I just don't care if I win or lose. Um, but to just brew something off the cuff, shotgun it a few times, and spend 40 bucks at a Star City probably you know, seems like a, uh, a waste of funds. Yeah, so that's a good point too. Is that sometimes that that is it's almost like a PTQ where you might not play the deck you want to play. You play the deck that's you think is actually best right now, and maybe you play something cool on on Tuesday at your local game store. But if you're gonna pay forty bucks, you're gonna play to win. You're not gonna play to have fun. Yeah, yeah. I think part of the issue is a lot of people are maybe playing these decks. But then, like you said, not understanding what's going on. So I think the best kind of quote for this is like, it's not practice that makes perfect, it's perfect practice makes perfect. So if you're kind of continually making the same mistakes because you have no idea what's going on, you're just going to play the deck like a bag of shit every single time. And maybe you'll slowly improve as people point things out to you. But unless you have somebody or a group of people or you understand the basic theory of what's going on, you're not going to get very far with any particular choices. Live so, to win till you die. Sorry. And I, I can admit to doing that. Uh, when Deathblade first showed up on the scene, I thought it was a really cool, interesting deck, and I threw it together because I had all the pieces for it. And I played it for about three weeks in a row at our local game store. Um, I happened to have a lot of off time, so I played it almost every day. And at the end of the three weeks, I was like, either this deck is terrible or... I just don't have the sensibilities to play it. And I dropped the deck and went on to win two weeks in a row with Rug Delver. So, so uh, sometimes it's just, it's not even that you don't understand it. It's just, it doesn't, that type of deck just didn't work for me. And this entire brewing section have turned it, has turned into a commentary about how some people in the Magic uh, community don't like it when other people net deck. Well, that's not the case. I mean... Let's try not to, to turn it into that, because that's entirely not the case. I think what it is, is people, because of, the, because of the information dissemination via the internet, have skipped over a lot of the fundamentals of deck building, just because of the fact 
that it's easier and faster just to take a deck off, you know, TC decks or Star City Games, proxy it up, test it out, and hey, I had some fun at Magic, and that's it. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I think for the people out there who are still kind of searching and deck building and seeing different builds and being like, oh, why are these cards in there? How do I improve my deck? What's going on? How do I deal with this situation? I think that there's not a lot is addressed on a lot of websites because I think the people who are doing it well have been doing it for so long that it's kind of like asking somebody asking somebody who is not a teacher to te- to explain addition to a grade one or a kindergarten student. Be like, okay, teach this simple concept that is so fundamental to you that you just get it, no problem, to somebody who has no idea what you're talking about. Go. You're going to have a hell of a time. So I think deck building has just not gone over because of the fact that the people that know it know it, and the people that don't either don't have the time or don't spend the time or aren't taught it or And the time thing is a big deal, too, because like we've said... If I have three hours a week that I can devote to Magic, I want to spend three hours playing Magic, not three hours combing through Gatherer looking for hot tech. Yeah. So I think, I, to be honest, I actually kind of want to recreate the conversation that uh, Sam and I had, with obviously Sean giving some feedback as well, about why Deathblade is not the greatest deck in the world and what a what an Esper deck should be to kind of put it back on top of the ropes. So, Sam, do you kind of remember the conversation we had? Maybe well, we can... and the conversation started with, uh, you know, is Deathblade where a Blade deck really wants to be? And we both kind of said, you know, I don't really know, as shown by the fact that Deathblade has kind of... it. The Blade part is not super important to that deck anymore. Um, and so we started from... You mean the death? Yeah, the death part of it. Um, we started from from a philosophical point of view... The, the the how you think about the deck has to change to move back to old style Esper, and is that playable? And what do you have to do to make it playable? Well, you could cut and, everybody else off, play Esper, and play Rest in Peace. Yeah, well, I do love Rest in Peace. It's well, that's like actually what we're going to be talking about in two minutes. Oh, yeah, you're exactly so, correct. So we started, and I said from the top down point of view of what do you want to be doing, I said you want to start by turning it back into, do you want to go to pure control like blue-white was? Do you want to go to pure aggro? Um, And which direction do you want to go? And what we decided was that it needed to be blue-white aggro, or I'm sorry, it needed to be blue-white control with a splash of black for your discard and disruption. And, okay, cool. Now what do we do to build blue-white control with Stoneforge Mystic? So then we kind of went and we decided, like, so does death does Deathrite Shaman matter in this deck? Do I want to be doing that on turn one? So the answer is, if we're not splashing any sort of green or a lot of dual lands, do we want to be doing that? If we're going to be mostly, mostly running Tundras, the answer is no. Deathrite Shaman does not matter. Um, Deathrite Shaman not mattering opens up our options for doing a few things. A, strengthening our mana base. B, shitting on other people's Deathrite Shamans. And that's, like we said, rest in peace, best card ever. So then, you got to sit down and go, what are the best creatures that we can play with in these colors? So, in the past, we've, I mean, we've all seen, or most of us have seen, Esper Control decks that have done well in the past. So what creatures were they using? Stoneforge Mystic, Snapcaster Mage, Vendillion Clique, and last but not least, Geist of St. Traft. And Geist of St. Traft is 
super, super good. I mean, swinging for six on uh, turn four is always solid. And real quick to uh, go backwards a little bit, one of the things we said when we discussed uh, when we discussed whether or not we wanted to play Deathrite Shaman is what are you doing when you play Deathrite Shaman on turn one? You're mostly playing him as an accelerant. And why are you playing him as an accelerant? Well, that's to get to three mana on turn two or to get to four mana on turn three. And we said, do we really need to do that? In a pure blue-white control deck, all your business costs two. So unless they have a daze... You just play your Stoneforge Mystic on turn two. You don't really need that acceleration. Exactly. I mean, there's you're not really doing enough with the Deathrite Shaman in this deck to kind of warrant its inclusion. I know that the ver the greed version, that's what it wants to do. However, that deck is not good. So therefore, <laughs> we kind of have to take a step back and see how do we get to the the spectrum of good again. So, again. What do we start our deck off with? We know we're a blue control deck, so we can work on a mana base later, but because we're a blue control deck, we know we're going to want anywhere between 22 and 24 lands. So we have to set aside those slots, and I'm writing down on my piece of paper right now, which is... Paper! Crazy tech. Crazy tech. Paper? What year is this? Paper! 22 to 24 lands. I'm clicking on my typewriter. You don't have a typewriter still? Oh man, you're missing out. I'm going to telex you this call. <laughs> Write a check. You know, whatever. The point is, I think, to be honest, I think sitting around with a bunch of friends and doing it on paper while having some drinks is probably the best way to do it. A, because if you spill your drinks when you get really drunk writing up the deck list, you don't ruin a $3,000 MacBook. That's always positive. Just saying. Never happened to me. Of course not. But, you know, whatever. Point being, we want to write down our choices. And we want to reason them out. And then we can kind of take it to some sort of software or testing site and see what's going on. So let's write down our 22 to 24 lands. We set aside those slots. And then we work on our control base. So, Sean and Sam. We know that we're going to have four Stoneforge Mystic. And we're going to have two targets, minimum. So there's six. We want to play Geist, and we want Geist to be one of the all-stars, so we're probably going to start with four there. Uh, being that we're in S for Colors, another amazing creature is Baleful Strix. So right there, we've just listed 14 cards in the deck. And add, add some cantrips, add some, uh, add some removal, add some counters, and you're 90% of the way there. So even though, now, we went over that pretty quick, but I mean, we're going over like a defined archetype. We know that... You know, Esper Stoneblade needs a mix of, obviously, Stoneforge Mystic. You're playing, so if you were building this deck from the ground up, you would actually be saying, what card do I want to build around? And the answer is Stoneforge Mystic. So, I mean, we've already kind of gotten past that basic point. We're going off of the, this deck has been done before, however, how do we make it better? Well, it was so... good because you could protect him. Like, the the key to the Stoneforge is... Or, or making Stoneforge good is that he lives. So you either need to get him up front and protect him with targeted discard, which you get from black, or on the backside, protect him with counter magic. You know, if you really want to run him out there quickly, force the removal, uh, or sandbag him for a little while until you can maybe cast a spell pierce or a counter spell or um, that kind of that kind of thing. So. The deck has to have a way to protect him, whether it's free counter magic or discard up front. 
that has to be built into the deck. Otherwise, he's just, uh, you know, Steel Shaper's gift. Or what you have to do is also, in addition to those things, create enough creatures so that you also have enough things to put, you know, your equipment on in case Stoneform Mystic should die. True, so, true. So, I mean, having, say, st- four Stoneforge Mystics will be fine, and even if you have, you know, discard and force a will. But if that's your only creature, you need to seriously consider... Yeah, Sword on the Ground does not attack anyone. Correct. No, you could play Manlands, you could play something like Bitter Blossom, you could play... Um, I think I think taking it... If you're going to take Death Rite out of the deck, you might as well take all the Graveyard... Reliance out of the deck, so no lingering souls, no death right, no snapcaster mage, and then you can I agree. really, really, really bite hard. You know, you could maybe play a rest in peace main deck. Main deck, like I don't think playing one enlightened tutor main deck is terrible either for a number of reasons. One, you're a stoneforge deck, so in the case that you don't actually draw your stoneforge, you could go get a, a an equipment at least with it. You could play three or four really good silver bullets like. Rest in peace, maybe a Pithing Needle or an Oblivion Ring. Um, you know, so you're playing against Show and Tell. You could maybe tutor up O-Ring, brainstorm it into your hand, something like that. Um, you can. It opens up the door to artifact creatures, too. So um, in your sideboard, you've got, you know, either Sworn Canonist, maybe, or Rule of Law. Um, I, I know Enlightened Tutor is card disadvantage. People like to say that but it's still really good against but if it wins the game that's not really a disadvantage so so i think that that's also an interesting novel angle that hasn't been explored so that's definitely a possible inclusion for sure so going over going back over our list we have our you know our 14 cards so far so we have our stoneforge mystic our guys our baleful strix and our targets great so that means we're up to approximately 38 slots total out of a out of a 60 card deck so I mean, we're still going to need, we know for sure, four Brainstorm. Put that there. Four Swords of Plowshares. Can't leave home without those. And Sam, you were saying something? Well, and that right there puts you up to 52 cards, by the way. So what are you doing with those those last eight? Is Or those last ten, I guess, if I math wrong. <clears throat> uh, we want our discard, which is going to be some number of Thoughtseize of Inquisition Duress in some balance, uh, and a couple uh, counterspells. Then we do this whole analysis. Are we playing enough blue to throw Force in there, or do we need to play Spell Pierce and Days and things like that? Um, to go back in time just a little bit, we mentioned possibly playing Manlands, and looking at the past is a, gr- is a good thing to do in some of these uh, modify when you're m- trying to rebuild a deck looking to the past is always good if we're saying manlands we could go back to two mutavolt and four spell setter sprite and it's a counter spell that attacks that's a possibility and that might be a possibility you immediately say nope that's not where i want to be but uh maybe just i mean we're brewing here yeah so i mean we know we want like brainstorms we want swords to plowshares you know possibly counter spell clique you know, there's there's so many ways. I mean, we're not gonna fill out the rest of the deck because a secret tech. You know, that's what we want. But also, too, I mean, there's so many different directions that you could take this depending on personal preference and metagame. That I mean, us just giving you a deck list. Is yeah, like... that's so fun. However, I think one of the key things that I also focused on was going after the miracles mana base, quote unquote. 
that I like to copy for three colors decks now is actually just the five basics mana base. Three of your primary color and one of each of your off colors. That's always positive. Gets around Wasteland, gets around Blood Moon, uh, and... You, it, it just it, it solves a lot of potential problems to do that. And while it's not, I w- while you would much rather have a tundra than just an islands or a plains, sometimes just an island or a plains is really a lot better. Um, we the other reason we don't want to flesh out the whole deck is that at some point your brewing needs to be based on what actually happens. So you throw together this sixty, and this sixty is not perfect by any means you know some of these four ofs maybe it could be three ofs some of the like one of the one or two ofs we might increase and sometimes you just you need to get that 60 thrown together so you can start testing with it and seeing what it's missing because obviously we just threw this entire deck together in about five minutes it's not ready for prime time yet but it's ready for i don't know medium time cockatrice cockatrice it's ready for FaceTime. Oh yeah. Fuck it, sleeve that thing up. Yeah, or sleeve it up. Just get some old shitty, th- well, not old shitty, it could even be Theros garbage that you just opened up yesterday. Get out your nice brand new Sharpie, and oops, start sleeving up those uh, those Sharpied cards, and suddenly, hey, you've got a deck that you can test with your friends. I use Russian Zendikar commons for my proxies. No! Because I bought, I bought a case of Russian Zendikar, and I have all those commons that don't do anything. Give them to me. What are you doing? I mean, they're the bad commons. I already pulled out the good commons. Uh, you're still a horrible person. Anyway, the point is, you need to actually... I'm not saying you, all of you listeners, get up, get up off your butt and start... No, it's, it's just something that you need to do on your own to kind of get the experience as well. I mean... You know, if you have your mana base and you have the cards that you want to play. Also, too, a lot of people actually don't do the mana ratios, which I, I found really weird. So there's a program. What was the program you were using, Sam? There's a, there's a lot of them that do that, but I use Tapped Out because you can just copy and paste a deck list in there. And it gives you these graphs of where, what your mana distribution is like in terms of where you're using it and what your mana distribution is like in terms of what mana producers you have. And... Again, while those kind of tools aren't going to give you exactly what you need, it, you can look at it and say, oh, the land base I built has half as much white as it should. I need to tweak this. So, are we more or less good on brewing? Yeah, I need to go get some Dunkin' Donuts, so we're going to we're gonna have to wind this down. Alright. Okay. So we got nothing else? We stop recording? Alright, let's wrap this shit up. Alright. Yep. I'm going to go get coffee now, because America runs on Dunkin'. Canada runs on beer, but America... I thought Canada run on Tim Horton. It's Tim Horton's. Oh, yeah. sorry. Canada runs on Tim Horton. Oh yeah. Canada anyway. runs on Brian Adams. It does. And Justin Bieber. Uh... <laughs> anyway, thanks for the cast, gents. So thanks to everyone who provided their feedback that helped make this episode possible. We always appreciate more. In fact, we've got a little more waiting for next cast, but... Any more questions, comments that you've got, send them to us. Twitter, we're at EternalMTG. Email us at EverydayEternalCast at gmail.com or like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash EverydayEternalPodcast. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.